Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college basketball, the NFL, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 210. Well, this week's episode is going to be jam-packed with some basketball, football, and professional basketball. Before we get started, I want to kind of get you warmed up a little bit. Penalties have been a hot topic uh, the past week uh, for a myriad of reasons that we'll get into. Specifically, penalties being called, you know, the, the amount of penalties being called. I have a quiz for you three. I want you to give me the quote-unquote rarest penalties that were called in the NFL this season. So these are penalties that were called but the fewest amount of times. These are all tied. They've all been called one time throughout this entire season. Can you guess what any of these three are? No. What? (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like more of a a Mike type of deal, so. Hey, I figured I'd give uh, you other two a shot, though. What was only called once? And these are things that, like I said, were only called once. If you look at the stats, there's another one in here that says it was called once, but that's because it was called twice and one of them was declined. So these are... The flag was thrown and the penalty was um, was given. What would it only have been called once? I'm blanking. Boy, what would it be yeah. here? I, I don't know if I'm going to have this. Wild guess. Goaltending. In the NFL? Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, I mean, it is. You're right. Okay. Kyle? The, the, the lining up over the center infraction... On a field oh, goal. Oh, no, I'm guessing leverage. Leverage. I'm guessing leverage. Le- leverage. I don't remember okay. that one called this season, maybe. I don't either, but it's a good one to yeah. guess. Better than, better than goaltending, because I would have heard if that happened. I'm pretty sure goaltending isn't even a real rule. Isn't that just a... Uh, no, I saw it in the rule book because I was searching for my rule for the episode this week. It's actually... You sure it's not an approved ruling? Eh, it doesn't and maybe, matter. Maybe it is an approved ruling, but anyway. I saw the word goaltend in the rule book. There are two, four instances of the word goaltend. Rule 12, Article 1. Yeah, Rule 12, uh, Section 3. Interesting. Article 1. Well, we know it's not that. Ariane, what is your guess? I have no earthly idea. All right, so leverage was called twice this year. Oh, look at that. Against Pittsburgh and against New Orleans. The things that have only been called once were an invalid fair catch signal, a five-yard penalty committed by the Bengals on November 20th at Pittsburgh, illegal substitution, which is a five-yard penalty as well, that Houston committed on September 25th at Chicago. And then the worst of all, illegal batting. This was a 10-yard penalty that Cleveland committed against the Patriots on October 16th. So those are the three rarest penalties in the NFL this year. I, I would not have guessed illegal substitution was that rare. Yeah, maybe Only once. What was the one that was once but actually got called twice? Um, it was kicking a loose ball. Hmm. Interesting. Or illegal kick slash kicking a loose ball. I didn't pull up the game film to actually look to see what which one it was, but same thing. Um, that happened twice. One was declined. So we didn't count it in, in this lineup here. Interesting. Well, thank you. That was actually fun. I enjoyed that. That was good. I certainly enjoyed it a lot more than I enjoyed watching Cyclone basketball this week. It was not a good week for either of our two Cyclone basketball teams. As we normally do, I will start with the men's team. Um, And it started with a 76-71 loss at West Virginia, which in and of itself 
is 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 nothing necessarily to be ashamed of. You were three point underdogs in that game, and you lost by five. That that's nothing to be ashamed of. But that game, one, it was a game you probably could have won because you had a semi uncontested layup down a point with fifteen seconds left that you missed. Um, and second of all, that game was just borderline unwatchable because of the officiating. Now, before we get into that more, I want to clarify: I'm not saying the officials were biased. I'm not saying the officials are why Iowa State lost, but they were just bad. They called way too many fouls in that game. That game was not physical enough for the number of fouls that they called. They called 11 fouls in the first three and a half minutes of the second half. That just shouldn't happen, ever. Like, unless it's like a fight and you're giving out technical fouls that would count as fouls, technically, you, you, you just shouldn't be giving out that many fouls. Like... It didn't cost Iowa State the game. West Virginia deserved to win this game. I'm not saying the officials are biased. They were just bad. I mean, that, that's my take. I don't know if any of you have any other thoughts on that before we talk about what actually happened in the game. Yeah, whenever people talk about fouls and you get into what's a foul versus what's not, especially on basketball, like holding or football, when you get pass interference stuff or holding on the line, people say there's a foul on every play. If they wanted to, they could call a foul on every play. Uh, These referees decided that was their personal mission to call fouls on almost every play they could. And it was just abysmal to watch. It was a slog. The game took almost two and a half hours and it it took more than two and a half hours and it didn't go to overtime. Yeah, I think the game that was on after us was at like 11 minutes in the first half when our game ended. So really, really slow. Just not a fun game to, to watch at all. So Iowa State was called for a foul on 31 out of 69 of West Virginia's possessions, which is a 44.9% clip. Now, I mean, ultimately, the math here isn't perfect because offensive fouls don't, I don't believe, count as possessions. and, And you could have multiple fouls in a singular possession, but like it it kind of comes out of a, as a wash. I mean, 31 fouls on 69 possessions, uh, 45% of all possessions for West Virginia. And it at least had a foul. That's a lot. That's a very large quantity. Uh, it just, I, too much. Yeah. Especially with the way that the big 12 plays this year, we have a lot of physical teams. We have a lot of teams that defend pretty hard. It has not been called like that in league play that we've seen up until that point. So it was definitely a big surprise and a big shift to just see us calling things like we're playing whatever the basketball equivalent of flag football is where you're not allowed to touch people. And we know that um, Iowa State fouls a lot. That's yes. that's not a secret. And that's why I'm not saying these officials were biased in any way, but that, that was just too much. I mean, West Virginia is, let me, I'm trying to pull up their page here. They're, I mean, they're, they generally foul a lot too. So if any team set of teams were going to have this game, I mean, it would be these two teams. Um, West Virginia is 339th in the nation for opponent shooting free throws. And Iowa state is 342nd. So both teams were going to get their fair share of free throws in that game. But um, it was just too much. It was unwatchable. There were whistles every 30 seconds. I was yelling at the TV because I was just so frustrated with them. It was it was not great. For what actually happened on the court, um, the Cyclones did lose, as I mentioned. Um, 
I, Caleb Grill, I thought, had a very good game um, in that one. He had a double-double with um, 13 points and 10 rebounds. Of course, pretty much everybody was in foul trouble. Like, pretty much only Gabe Kalsha was the only player for the Cyclones not in foul trouble. So it was definitely uh, definitely a foul-filled game. Oshuni E. Lip- was that the game this week where we lost both of our bigs? Yeah, so Oshuni E. Lipsy and Jones all fouled out. Um, yeah, and, the, uh, and some of them were just fouls that you didn't need to call. Um, but you did. And so be it. The team actually shot well from the free throw line in that game, 19 to 24. We like to see that. Um, we have not seen that um, recently from an Iowa State men's team. So that was good to see. But in the end, it was a tough road game. You lost by five. There's not necessarily any shame in that, especially a game where you did fall down by something like 15 at one point um, in the first half um, and then battled back to be ahead with. Uh, with under two minutes to play at one point. So, you know, they just couldn't quite get it done at the end, and, and that is what it is, but they, they played a solid game. And I'm not – if they would have just lost a regular game by five, I wouldn't have been that upset about it. But this one just frustrated me because of the way it happened. I mean, this game went two, a little over two and a half hours yeah. uh, without overtime. That's truly, like – horrible to watch um the the quality that the officials had a lot of influence on and like the the quality of like actual spectator sport at that point was was tough to see um i mean one foul in general at the beginning of the second half that i was particularly irked by oshuni was on the court early i think it was like 30 seconds into the second half he had legal guarding position the offense the offensive player initiated the contact and they called the foul on Oshuni down under the basket when he was standing straight up. And I I mean, that pretty much summarizes everything in that game. It's not like that was maybe one that stood out to me as what I would consider a bad call, but uh, there were just a lot of ticky tack calls in this game. Whereas if you brushed their arm, that was a foul. And in the end, again, I'm going to say the same about every game for the rest of the year. If he goes to make the NCAA tournament, it probably doesn't matter. If he goes to win the Big 12, you got to win some of these. Um, and that really applies to the, the game um, over the weekend uh, at home against Oklahoma State, another game which the Cyclones lost 56-64. to 64. And to me, it just looks like I didn't get to watch a ton of it, but for, from what I saw, it just looked like the team didn't have much energy and didn't play well. They had a six-point lead at halftime, and then the, the, they just didn't have much energy in the second half. Lipsy tried to, to carry them um, and had a very solid game, but that wasn't quite enough um, to get them over the hump. It was good to see um, Jazz Kuntz looking like his normal self. He was a leading scorer with 13 points on four of seven shooting. Lipsy had 12 um, on five of 11 shooting. Um, But everybody else was just non-factors in this game. We're back to bad Gabe Kalsher, six points, two for 12 shooting. That's after having eight points and eight points in the, um, yeah, three consecutive eight-point games before that one. He hasn't been good since Texas Tech. Uh, since the Texas Tech game. I hope that's not a theme. If bad Gabe comes back for the rest of the year, this team is going to come back to earth a little bit unless somebody else steps up. 
Um, we need to Gabe to be at least okay offensively if this team is gonna gonna go places. Um, some of the more frustrating aspects of this game. Nine for 19 from the free throw line, including a lot of bad misses late in the game. Grill, one for five from the line. Holmes, two for four from the line. Really, Grill, there was a sequence late in that game where he got fouled. We were down five, and he got fouled shooting a three. He makes the first free throw, and then or misses the first, makes the second, misses the third, gets called for a foul going for the rebound, leading to West Virginia free throws and then gets teed up for some reason. I don't know what he was thinking or what he was doing. It was a double technical, so it didn't hurt us that much. But still, I don't know what he was thinking. Like, that's just a terrible sequence. That was one of the dumbest sequences I've seen us play. Uh, Like you said, he got fouled, missed the first one, started talking with Asbury, I believe, on their team. And they were just jawing back and forth. He's on the line, and he's on the corner. And then he misses it, and they're still talking. And through every single free throw, they're just talking and talking. And then what do you know? Asbury ends up with the ball, and Grill just elbows him, like, basically in the chest and pushes him down. You can say he was going for the ball, but after you saw him talking to each other, you kind of feel like it was a little personal, and he put a little extra on it. So there's the foul. And then they're still talking, walking up the court, both of them. So the ref just double tees them both because they won't shut up. And he, he fouled himself out of the game like that. I think he had one foul going into the second half and then proceeded to just take himself out of the game in a really stupid way when we really could have used him down the stretch. That was a big mental lapse that just didn't need to happen at all. And, and that sort of summarizes the game. They just didn't have energy. They didn't play smart. They didn't make shots. That, that just summarized that game. It was, it was a disappointing performance. Um, and it's a shame because that's maybe the best game that I've seen Tame and Lipsy play. He looked really good. He looked really confident. He looked like he was not only the point guard, but the leader of the team. He really took it upon himself. And I thought that was awesome. I'd love to see more of that, but it was kind of wasted when everybody else uh, only showed up halfway and it was at home. So huge missed opportunity. And and he, he is really, really becoming a good player. He took over at the start of the second half of that West Virginia game, too. Like I said, Iowa State was down by a fairly good amount, like eight or something at halftime of that game. I'd have to look um, at the exact number. And Lipsy took over, and he scored like eight straight to bring us within two um, at the start of that half. We were down six, and he scored, yeah, six straight Cyclone points to get us back in that game. Um, He's showing flashes of really turning into an elite point guard. He's not there yet, but he is showing flashes. And that's awesome to see the growth he's had this year. That's, that was the bright spot this week for me. It was absolutely tame and lipsy. Had a great week. Doesn't have the jumper yet, but his right. floater range game is fantastic already. It's very impressive. He does have a really quick first step, too. Yeah. Uh, so he is able to blow by a lot of uh, defenders. But in order to make that more of a weapon and more dangerous is the development and the progression of his like standing catch and release jumper. Um, specifically, you're seeing a lot of teams backing off of him from the three point line in order to guard that durable drive um, in order for him to become more lethal and more of a well-rounded point guard and someone who can elevate his game even further. I've talked about it before. He really needs to be able to at least shoot 20% to 20 to 25% from three, just a little bit of a danger there. Uh, where they do still have to guard him at that line 
so that he is able to then dribble drive. Yeah, and I mean, I, and I mean, if I was the opponent, I wouldn't guard him at the line. He's what is he? He's four of twenty from three on the year. Um, so let uh, let him shoot that all he wants, right? If I'm if I'm the opponent, don't get beat off the drive. But no, overall, um, very impressive um, the way he's been playing as of late. That's good to see. Any other thoughts on this week's game? Games. I have one big picture thought before we move on to next week. But if you have any thoughts on the specific games, nope. Oh, not I don't either. So my big picture thought is I'm just starting to feel a sense of of panic and the sky is falling among the fan base. Um, and I agree that this was not a great week. I'm not trying to sugarcoat that. Not a great month. That's true. The month is. A, only half over though that can change um but we're less than a month from selection sunday so they better pick that up uh sooner rather than later but yes it was a bad week and a bad month but let's take a step back and let's look at this the cyclones are still 16th in the net rankings they're still 19th in the ap poll that came out this morning the the bracket matrix which we've talked about previously just compiles everybody who does bracketology and averages it all out that still has Iowa State as a four seed, and not it has it as the, the top four seed, right? So right on the three-four line, um, and that's with updates um, um, after this loss to Oklahoma State. So, yes, it was a bad week. No, the sky is not falling. This is an NCAA tournament team. They are going to likely be somewhere in the three to six seed line, right? They'll highly likely to be favored in the first round NCAA tournament game. Bad week. Shake it off. The sky's not falling. This team is going to be fine. That, 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 that's my big picture thought. But there's no reason to panic yet. Yep, I agree. Let's, let's see what happens this week, and then, we can, and then we can talk more about big picture. The only reason to panic is if we started the season as a top 10 team, and that is what was expected of us. But it isn't. So we're still doing well. Correct. And, and that's why we'll get to this in a little bit. That's why the men's and women's teams are in similar places, records, standings, etc. But I'm panicking about the women's team, and that's because of the preseason expectations. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, but before we do, looking ahead um, to this week's games, um, first, it'll be in, uh, Wednesday at home against TCU, number 22 TCU. That'll be an 8 p.m. tip-off on ESPNU. And then Saturday, it'll be a 1 p.m. tip-off um, at, at K-State. Um, so the Cyclones are likely to be favored against home, at home against TCU and slight underdogs at K-State, as has been the theme for most of the season. Favorite at home, underdogs on the road. That is the Big 12 this year. It'd be nice to get a split. You don't, want, you don't need to win both of these. Obviously, that would be great. Get a split. You know, the, the sky won't be falling anymore, right? That'll calm everybody down. Get a split. You'll be fine, and you'll be a lock for the tournament. Any other thoughts on the men's team before we move on to the women's team? Hearing none... Um, over on the women's team, the, the sky is falling a little bit um, for the women's team. They lost again this week, um, the only game this week, at West Virginia. Now on a three-game losing streak, down to number 22 in the AP poll. Um, overall record at 15-7, and seven, which is 
pretty much exactly identical to the 16 and 8 record that the men have. But the difference is um, the women were a top 10 team going into this season. Or maybe they were number, yeah, they were number eight in the nation going into this season, right? That's the difference. This was a team projected to win the Big 12, um, be a one or two seed in the NCAA tournament, right? And now they're seven and five. They're in fifth in the conference. They're definitely still going to make the NCAA tournament. But now, as we talked about last week, they're in danger of not hosting those first round games, which greatly decreases your chances of advancing. Um, so that, right. The, there's more panic, um, for the women's team. Now, granted they are beating number 17, Texas, um, by 12, um, late, uh, by 12 at the end of the third quarter as we're recording this. So they'll likely, um, I hope at this point they'll win, um, they'll win this one and that'll sort of right the ship, but they, they really need to get some wins. Um, and this week they'll have some opportunities, like I said, Texas at home and then at Baylor, that'll be 5 PM on Saturday is their second game this week. Um, it would be nice if they could get two wins, then I'll relax a little bit. Um, if they can win those two games and get back in it. So that, that's where your women's team that will hope they can crawl back into a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. That should be the goal. Get a four seed or better is now the goal for the women. That is Cyclone Basketball for the week. Um, And now over to the Super Bowl in the NFL. Kyle, I'll let you take this one to start. I mean, yeah. It was a great Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 57, not only just from a Chiefs fandom perspective, but overall I think the entertainment value of the Super Bowl was at a high level. the Chiefs did come in as, I believe, slight underdogs in this game. Uh, they the were, Eagles yes, favored, one and a half point underdogs. Favored by one and a half. Uh, the Chiefs end up pulling out that victory 38-35 to on a game-winning Harrison Bucker field goal. Um, it is now the second Super Bowl victory in the Mahomes slash Reed era, two in the last four years. Uh, obviously, Mahomes and Reed's third appearance. Uh, in a Super Bowl in the last four years overall. Mahomes was hampered at the end of the second quarter with that ankle sprain. It was something that was a huge uh, controversy at the end of the first half was he was on the bench writhing in pain, uh, putting his head onto the shoulder of um, Rex Burkholder, the uh, head athletic athletic trainer for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um I wasn't sure that he was going to be able to come back after that. He really was in a lot of pain after that one. Um, But he was able to rebound. I mean, he was jogging into the locker room at halftime. He looked pretty good. He came out and overall was really efficient. And that was kind of the theme of the postseason for him this year. He just peak efficiency. He was 72 of 100 throughout the postseason, 703 total yards, seven touchdowns and no interceptions uh, for Mahomes this postseason in those three games total. Most of it on a high ankle sprain. Um, But ultimately, this game was a tale of two halves. The Eagles dominated the first half outside of one touch, one Chiefs touchdown drive and a Hurts fumble that was really pretty terrible. Uh, 
kind of just lost the ball and it was a scoop and score touchdown for Nick Bolton of the Chiefs. That was the th- that was really the only thing that kept the Chiefs in it. The Eagles dominated time of possession. They dominated that ball control and really just kind of handling the Chiefs defense at that point. The defense really didn't have much of a an much of an answer to anything that the Eagles were throwing at them, including those short uh either third and one, fourth and one scenarios down in one yard to go. The Eagles are phenomenal with that quarterback sneak and it is unguardable. Um, And that was really kind of the story that the Eagles got out to a fast start. They scored on the first uh, drive of the game, which is something that they had been doing all postseason and all year. Uh, When they had the ball first, they typically scored. Um, But they, the Chiefs had a big defensive stop at the end of the second half in order to only hold the field goal, the Eagles to a field goal, in which it kind of felt like the Chiefs had just had a three and out uh, under two minutes, just barely under two minutes. Eagles had still had three timeouts that the Eagles were going to go down and probably score a touchdown, and rather the Chiefs scoring to tie the game up at uh, 21 apiece that the Eagles were really going to make it 28 to 14 at halftime. Um, but a big uh, stop there for the Chiefs and the defense really kept that game close or what felt like a lot closer going into halftime. Um, but the Chiefs in the second half made adjustments, and that's what it mattered uh, for the rest of the game. They had four possessions. They scored on all four, three touchdowns, and then the game-winning field goal at the end. Uh and that was that was the story. The Eagles had a couple of three and outs in the second half. The Chiefs defense really stepped up. Going into this game, all the focus was in the trenches, right? More were in favor of the Eagles offensive line and defensive line overall. What was the underrated uh, group probably of this game was the Chiefs offensive line that did not give up a sack and won a lot of run blocking situations in this game. Uh, they were able to push that line of scrimmage in the second half, take a little bit of that weight off of Mahomes and his ankle. Isaiah Pacheco was phenomenal in the second half, running the ball, getting upfield, Jarek McKinnon as well. Um, and then the Chiefs defensive line, I believe, ended with two sacks on the game, uh, in which the Eagles defensive line obviously didn't have any. So huge credit to the revamped Chiefs offensive line, which is a complete 180 from what the Chiefs saw and were absolutely obliterated by uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Super Bowl 55. Um, In that game, the front office revamped that offensive line, and it paid dividends in this game. Another note that I had before um, we get into the, the rest of the analysis from the crew here is the Eagles really didn't run the ball well outside of Jalen Hurts in short yardage situations. Hertz was phenomenal, obviously, three rushing touchdowns, one passing touchdown. Uh, but the Eagles gained the majority of the yardage through the air, contrary to their previous games, in which they had rushed for over 200 yards, I believe, in both of their previous playoff games. Uh, so that was something that was huge. It didn't set up as many of the play action uh, passes, but Jalen Hurts was more accurate in this game compared to the other games that he was playing in before. A couple of deep shots. It worked out well, and a couple of really great catches by Dallas Goddard, uh, Devontae Smith, one of them that did get called back ultimately. Um, but that was it. I mean, it was a really good Super Bowl. Any other thoughts from 
from Mike Ariane Wyatt here? Yeah, I mean, just uh, the offensive line for the the Chiefs. Um, to me, that was the difference in this game. They kept Mahomes relatively clean. He didn't get sacked at all. Um, he did have to work some magic on his some of his magic on a couple of those plays, but he did not get sacked at all. Um, that was the difference in the game for me. Yeah, I think one thing that we saw both teams talk about a lot after the game was just that the field was god-awful, and I think that played some of the part in the fact that the defensive line could not get home for sacks. They couldn't plant their foot. We saw many players slip and fall on touchdown celebrations, on normal plays, on kickoffs. Like Both teams are very, very critical of the playing surface that the NFL spent a bunch of money on. Um, eight hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars, and the the two turf years, was right? started two years ago. Yeah, yeah. So massive but failure this, there. This was an issue in the Chiefs' first game of the season. Remember, the Chiefs started in Arizona in Glendale, first game of the season at the Arizona Cardinals, and that's what caused Harrison Butker's. Well, I yeah, it did cause Harrison Butker's injury. Uh, going to kick off, uh, he either twisted his ankle or twisted his knee uh, because his, his plant foot slipped out from under him. Um, the playing surface, the Chiefs talked about it, it as the worst one that they had ever played on to open a season, you know, in quite a long time. The players were very upset about that. But in this game, they were also very upset about it. They were talking about the cleat changes that the, the players were having to um, make and Frank Clark said that every play he was just digging himself into the ground, like trying to dig a hole in order to gain some sort of traction right off the off the snap. And at least one of the sacks that the Chiefs got on the Eagles was just Jalen running out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. So it's not even no, like they no, got no, home in. No. That was both of them. Both, Both sacks yeah. were Jalen Hurts running out slightly behind the line of yeah. scrimmage. So. so it's not like they were even getting home. Like it was hard game for the defensive lines. For two teams that have very good defenses, that was a lot of points scored, and we did not that see a so lot of fantastic defense. Um, another thing that I noticed, uh, just I mean, it's been the national kind of media story, but even somehow this entire game, they didn't change their tune. Uh, every like time Greg Olson just kept saying, get him in passing downs, get him in passing situations. And then the Eagles aren't any good. Jalen Wilson had a Jalen Wilson. Good Lord. Uh, <laughs> Jalen hurts had a very good game passing. He was very accurate. He made a lot of good throws. People don't seem to respect him as a passer. And I think he proved himself in this game that he can pass quite well. He's not just a running quarterback. He's not just a guy who runs on fourth down. I will say, I'll say this first. I think I am still speculating this because I don't know if we have any way of confirming this. I believe Jalen Hurts still wasn't 100% healthy until report like, this game. Right? I still don't think he was 100% healthy for this game. Correct. I agree with that. But when you watched the game against the 49ers and then the game against the Giants, I think they had to run the ball out of necessity because Jalen Hurts was really just back there in order to, like, captain this team and throw when he could and when they really ultimately needed him to. But this game was probably the first game in a while in which he's actually felt somewhat comfortable throwing the ball. And And yet I still don't think he was completely healthy. Right. I mean, 27 of 38, he had a 103 passer rating. He was phenomenal. 
And the one thing that I didn't hear anybody say, the one difference, in my opinion, the, the reason, if you were going to pick one reason why the Chiefs won, it's just Andy Reid. He's just better. He outcoached Nick Sirianni. He is fantastic. And I think he deserves a ton of credit. After the game, he name-dropped the enemy like four times. He's really trying to get that guy a job. Yeah. But uh, Andy Reid is just fantastic. He's a really good coach. That is when the experience really shows itself in those that that game situation, right? I mean, this is the first time that Nick Sirianni's really played the biggest game of his life. You know, what was the other biggest game of his life? The NFC Championship game two weeks ago? Um, he, I think Nick Sirianni has a really bright future with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's been phenomenal so far for a lot of people who didn't even really have him on his on their radar when he became the the head coach for the Eagles. Um, nothing to take away from that in his performance. It's just the fact of the young gun gets out coached by the old soul who's still roaming the sideline. I I mean there there just has to be a level of I mean, people people talk about it all the time, right? It you have you get your head coach right, you get your quarterback right, and you leave your owner out of the the business of making player and personnel decisions, and you can probably put out a really good football team on the field. And that was that situation where, yeah, player and head coach on both sidelines were really good. Like the Eagles have it right, the Chiefs have it right. But yeah, Andy Reid has been there before and he's been there, done that and was able to come up with crazy plays in the second half in which they had receivers so open, so open on their final two touchdowns uh, in the second half. I mean, Kadarius Toney ran. I forget which play that was. They were were running. uh, I forget what they call that play, but. There, Andy Reid was like, how about we run a route in motion and then they'll be wide open. Like, just continue that route out of motion. Uh, and it worked, right? It was, they, they were so open. Yeah. And I mean, I just got a couple more, more thoughts on it too, right? All credit to Pat Mahomes. It was a very gutsy performance. Um, play, he, he played very well. Jalen Hurts was the better quarterback in that game, yes. in my opinion. Yes. Um, this, I think the stats show it. I think everything shows Jalen Hurts was better. Um, but Pat Mahomes, in the end, did enough to win. Um, I want to give a shout-out to Jarek McKinnon for sliding down on the one-and-a-half-yard line there. I was screaming um, at my instead TV. Of going in the going into the end zone. I thought he was going to go in for a second. I was like, oh, boy. And then he slid down, and I was like, all right, that's good. Um, and the last thing is, did anybody watch that interview after the game um, with Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey? Travis yeah. Kelsey knew that whatever they gave Pat Mahomes in the locker room for his ankle was so strong that he did not want Pat Mahomes talking in that interview whatsoever. <laughs> Pat Mahomes was on some strong stuff in the second half. And he in an interview after the game pat mahomes denied taking any sort of painkiller during halftime i was that, like that, yeah that right is absolutely false i can tell absolutely you false that, there were multiple times in which the camera caught mahomes face and i was like that dude is high as a kite right now it seems like 
or he's yeah. he doesn't feel anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember saying to the people I was watching the game with, right? Because Greg Olson made the comment, it's a 29 minute halftime. So Pat Mahomes will have a little bit of time to get ready. It's like, yeah, he's got 29 minutes to take as many drugs as possible so we can play. <laughs> what do we got in the bag? Uh-huh. I will say, uh, you know, it's. I was shocked that not a single one of the little panel picked the Chiefs at all. Uh, Travis Kelsey made sure to let everybody know he wasn't pleased with that. But uh, when you have a potentially top, I would say top 10 quarterback maybe of all time, top 10 tight end of all time, and possibly a top 10 coach of all time, you're going to have a good chance in that game. It's great. They'll just continue picking against him. Um, I mean, people did against Tom Brady too, so nothing's new there. I, I mean, that as someone said, I forget who said this at the end of the game, but with Mahomes now... Winning one Super Bowl is great. Like that, it's hard to get there and it's hard to win. But winning two now really starts to to cement your legacy as as a quarterback. I mean, he's he's joined rarefied air. I think it's only thirteen quarterbacks who have ever won multiple Super Bowls in their uh, career. Uh, obviously, joining the likes of Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, um, Eli you know, Manning, whole, e- Eli. Uh, if there's the one outlier in that uh, now, Chad Henney, uh, yeah, so, technically, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was, it was just a gutsy performance by him. Um, and the chiefs as a whole, uh, and the way that the chiefs have kind of set up their roster, it doesn't seem like they're going away anytime soon. And it's starting to shape up a little bit more and more like how the, the Patriots, uh, following the same like script and narrative that of the Patriots. Uh, so we'll see if it continues. Can it continue? I will say, keep your eye on, on Andy Reed. There were a lot of rumors before the game that he might retire uh, based on the outcome of the game. Afterwards, he, he said that he really likes being here and uh, uh, being in these situations. So he said that he thinks he's going to come back for another one, but that's something to keep your eye on going forward. Uh, into this offseason i'm not sure i'm not sure anybody noticed that in between you know terry bradshaw calling andy reed fat and old that was a great interview by terry bradshaw i don't know what that was about because terry bradshaw is all there yeah I mean, definitely not fat or old man. there <laughs> did, did anyone else um catch the little the little uh shot that andy reed had at uh tom brady robert Kraft there in his interview no no, what did he say? At, at the end of his interview, I don't remember who was interviewing him. And at the end of his interview, it was something like, I'm so happy I could kiss you right now, but I'm not gonna. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize I forgot. For. I, didn't, I didn't recognize that. That's hilarious. Oh. That's how, I, I don't know if that's how he intended it. That's definitely how I interpreted it. Yeah. Because that doesn't seem like something Andy Reid would just say if he wasn't doing it for a reason, so... It was a good end to the NFL season. Obviously, if you're a Chiefs fan, if you're a Philadelphia fan, boy, you've had a tough year. Um, but ultimately, now all eyes are set on the, well, if you're a Chiefs fan, the Super Bowl parade on Wednesday and then the NFL draft, which is in Kansas City this year. Uh, and then all eyes are set on the offseason and what's to come uh, in the next NFL season. So... 
everyone's on their way to uh, Vegas for next year. Super Bowl in Vegas, 2024. Should be do good. Think, when we... Do you think there will be a player from one of those teams that is not able to play in the Super Bowl because of Vegas? What do you mean? Like a player uh, gets in trouble right before the game yes. because of Vegas? Uh, yes. Um, I think that's unlikely. Probably. But I don't know. We'll maybe maybe some like low-level borderline practice squad player gets in trouble. But it is what it is. So we'll see. But going into the offseason, big things to to keep your eye on are all those quarterback contract extensions that should be should be hitting this year. Uh, keep your eye on Hertz, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert as well. As we talk about personnel going into the offseason for the NFL, the NBA saw a large shakeup in personnel landscape this past week as the NBA trade deadline came and went. But first of all, First and foremost, we had all-time greatness on display, right, Arian? That is correct. LeBron James is now the all-time leading scorer in NBA history, passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a record that had stood for nine months since before LeBron James was even born. Um, he has not played a game since that. Um, it was a very interesting game. Uh, the Lakers were playing the Suns at home. Uh, everybody and their mom was there, and he made the, the huh? Pretty sure they're playing the Thunder, not the Suns. Oh my gosh, you're right. The Thunder, that is correct. In my mind, I was picturing the Thunder. Uh, LeBron came out hot and heavy, scoring very hard, uh, trying to score very hard. He had 18 before the half, I think. Scored like a the whole rest of it in the third quarter. He made the record-breaking basket with 10 seconds left in the third quarter on a fadeaway. Um, kind of a signature LeBron shot, in my opinion. He just destroyed Toronto with, uh, with uh, quite a few fadeaways in that game. A few years ago when he played for Cleveland still, so that was awesome to see. Uh, Kareem was there in the audience. Oddly enough, we uh, stopped the whole game. With 10 seconds left in the third quarter and had a whole presentation. There was a montage video. Adam Silver and Kareem came out. They ceremonially handed a ball to him. He gave a whole speech. Uh, he dropped an F-bomb on live TV. It was all very cool to see, if not a bit odd. I thought maybe they should just end the quarter and do it at the end. But really awesome to watch. Um Truly historical. I don't think people realize how hard that record is to break. You have to score at an all-time rate, and then you also have to have all-time longevity. And he has both those things. Um, yeah, it was really awesome to see. I was watching it. I don't know if any of you guys were watching it. It was a little late. It was a West Coast game. But really, yeah, I, 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 was, I was in bed. Um, I, I mean, this begs the question. Everyone thought that Kobe might have been that long, long time longevity player who might hit that scoring record. Will anyone beat this now? It'll I mean, be a he's, long time. he's still playing. Yeah, he'll probably clear 40,000 40, by the time he's done with his career. I, I think eventually someone will break it, just like somebody always breaks records, right? 
but it will be a long time. Uh, it's hard to tell. We don't know what the game will look like. Most of Kareem's career was played without a three-point line. So, so when are they going to add a four-point line? Right. You never yeah. know what could happen here. But are they also talking about reducing the number of games in a season, too? So yeah. that would make it potentially even harder. Really hard to tell, but we'll, we'll see. And hopefully LeBron will be there to pass it off to the next guy if that ever happens. Um, mm-hmm. But unless you guys have any thoughts on that, nah, we can tell move me, on. Tell me about the trade deadline. Yeah, I oh. didn't follow all of it. And there was one that happened at like 1 a.m. <laughs> there was. The trade deadline this year was a doozy. Uh, Mike has said in the past that he thinks baseball has the best trade deadline. I will put forward this trade deadline as an uh, example that the NBA has the best one. I mean, I don't know. Baseball is like this every year, and the NBA was like this once. If this happens again, maybe I'll agree with you. But for now, I'm still giving it to baseball. But this was fantastic. I will agree. The NBA just has slightly smaller rosters, so it feels uh, yeah. bigger when people get traded. Yeah, um, for sure. This is just the final 24 hours of the trade deadline. It had 16 trades. It involved 49 players, which is approximately 10% of the league, and 25 of the 30 teams were involved. So that gives you just a a little bit of the scale of how much movement was going on this year. Um, The only teams in the NBA that did not make an end-season trade this year, now that the trade deadline has passed, were the Cavaliers and the Bulls. But the Cavaliers also got Donovan Mitchell before the season started, so you kind of give them a little leeway there. So really the Bulls are the only ones who didn't make a big pick. Uh, It was the year of the second-round pick. With all these big trades beforehand, Like Oklahoma City and Utah own like 40% of the first-round picks at all, so a lot of them are very hard to trade. So you saw a lot of two, three, four, five second round picks and deals. There's five second rounders here, five second rounders there, which is not normal, but very interesting. I'm going to hit some of the bigger trades. I am not going to get all the trades because there were just too dang many to talk about. But I picked the ones that I thought were interesting to me. Um, As uh, excuse me, as Kyle said, we did have one start or go through at like 1230 in the morning. And it was probably the biggest one of the trade deadline. Kevin Durant and TJ Warren were traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Phoenix Suns for Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder. Uh, Jay Crowder actually ended up on the Bucks with another three-team trade, so trades on trades there. Uh, but the Nets also got four unprotected first-round picks and a pick swap. Obviously, a top-10 player in the NBA getting traded uh, is a huge deal. And the power structure in the West has been shaken up quite a lot. Um, it'll be interesting to see what this all looks like when it shakes out. Um, the Nets kind of have an interesting team now looking at it. Um, they have almost, I don't remember exactly what it is. I'd have to look at their roster. They have like eight starters on their team, either from their team or the team that they got traded from. Let's see, Bridges, Claxton, Dinwiddie, Finney Smith, Johnson. O'Neal, Simmons. Uh, you want to count Tam- Cam Thomas, who's just been dropping 40 like it's his job recently. Uh, it was like eight or nine people who could be starters. So it'll be interesting to see where those minutes get allocated and who is going to play for them. Um, probably not good for Ben Simmons, who d- just doesn't look like he wants to play basketball still. 
Um, there was a four-team deal with Gary Payton going back to the Warriors from Portland. Uh, the Pistons are getting the former number two overall pick, James Wiseman, from the Warriors after he just did nothing for them for the past couple years. The Hawks are getting Sadiq Bay from the Pistons. And then the Blazers are getting Kevin Knox, who I did not know wasn't still playing for New York. Uh, they also got five second rounders in that draft or that trade. The Nuggets traded away Bones Highland, confusingly to me, for two second round picks to the Clippers. Uh, the Nuggets, in my opinion, should be trying to win now. They are at the top of the West. They are one of the teams to beat. So it doesn't make sense to me to play to trade away someone who could play minutes for you for nobody. I guess second round picks are cool for the future, but that's not going to win you a championship this year. I didn't love that pick for them or trade. John Wall, in an odd move, ended up back in Houston along with Danny Green. Uh, John Wall just sat out from playing for the Houston Rockets until he got to go where he wanted to in the Clippers. So I would assume he will get bought out again. Uh, the Clippers got Eric Gordon and picks, and the Grizzlies got Luke Kennard in that little swap there. Uh, the Clippers also traded Reggie Jackson in a second-round pick for Mason Plumley uh, of the Charlotte Hornets. Reggie Jackson was then bought out by the Hornets and is now going to sign with the Nuggets, from what I hear. So they will at least get some point guard help after just trading away Bones Island for uh, nothing that helps them win this year. Uh, the Nuggets also brought in a backup center from the Lakers and Thomas Bryant. Speaking of the Lakers, we're just going to keep rolling through teams hold here. On, hold on real quick. The, the, the funny joke with Thomas Bryant was that he got traded as he was right after he was requesting the ball in the post on LeBron's all time setting uh, shot. There's a, there's a great image out there of LeBron, uh, fading away, shooting that ball up while Thomas Bryant is raising his hands, calling for the ball <laughs> in the post on that play. So I did not even see like, that. Uh, it, hey, you did this. We don't like that. Goodbye. I heard he had maybe requested a trade too, which is really funny that somebody that, you know, he's not like a player that has a lot of sway is like, you need to trade me now. But uh, they went ahead and shipped, shipped him over to the Nuggets, who will be their new backup center for Nikola Jokic. Uh, the Lakers not done making moves. They had a big one. They finally shipped off Russell Westbrook. Like they had talked about, everybody had talked about them doing in the first place. Uh, the Lakers ended up with Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, and Jared Vanderbilt on their team. The Timberwolves in this swap ended up with Nikhil Alexander Walker, Mike Conley, and three second round picks. And then the Jazz end up with Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano Anderson, Damian Jones, and a top four protected first round pick. Uh, Russell Westbrook, we're not exactly sure what's happening with him. The Jazz have said they're open for him playing for them, or maybe they will buy him out, or maybe he will just sit for the rest of the season. So that will be something interesting to watch going forward. Um, another one that I did not note, um, Mo Bamba got traded for Patrick Beverly. So after, you know, how loud Patrick Beverly always is and his fantastic camera work in that game. He is now chilling in Orlando and the man who is most known for one rap song uh, is going to go disappoint the fans of another fan base who think he's good. The idea of Mo Bamba is fantastic. Uh, actual Mo Bamba has not been very good. 
Um, any yeah. thoughts on any of those trades? I know I well, went over a lot. I mean, the, obviously, the Russell Westbrook one is the is the largest there for the Lakers. Other than Kevin Durant. Somehow. Right. I think it's the circumstance surrounding it, I, I guess I'll say. For the Lakers to somehow be able to pawn off Russell Westbrook in the potentially world's worst NBA contract is, and get the return that they did, I'm not exactly sure how they pulled that out, but I, props to them for actually going out and getting some pieces that make them more viable to actually make the the NBA playoffs now is yeah. that like a is that a playoff roster the west is so close that i mean the difference between like third and 14 and 12th in the west is like three games so. yeah it's pretty brutal right now i think they're in good position see the lakers are hard cuz you have to preface everything with if they're healthy right anthony davis maybe plays in as good or maybe he gets injured every three games like he always does LeBron has not played in a single game since he broke the scoring record with like a left ankle injury, I think. So you you have to see if they can play, but you cannot deny that they're a better team than they were, for sure. Um, I mean, they have more shooters now. (laughs) Yes, and we already knew this. That's how you win with LeBron. Put shooters around him. That's all you need. But yeah, definitely credit to the Lakers for not only getting off the Russell Westbrook contract, but also getting D'Angelo Russell back as another point guard and a little reunion with the Lakers there. Uh, As a Timberwolves fan, how do you feel, Mike? You like the move? I mean, right. The way I understand it is it's a move that had to happen because you're not, they weren't going to sign D'Lo to a long-term deal. Yeah. Timberwolves are already over the salary cap. And if they don't, trade or re-sign Russell because they're already over the salary cap that money just disappears they can't use it for anything else so since they get um, Mike Conley back for that salary slot his contract goes to next year they can still make it work where they can still spend that money I don't know I don't know all the rules it's a trade that had to happen a three seconds seem like it's just weird. Again, all the second round picks that got traded. It's just like, here, have half a dozen pieces of chocolate along with your trade. Yeah, that was a weird quirk of this year. Multiple times it was five second round picks. And I'm like, I don't, how, how beneficial is that? I have no clue. But anyway, I don't hate it. I don't love, I don't think it makes you significantly better or worse for this year. Um, and it gives you the salary cap stuff you needed. Um, we'll see how the team responds. That's yeah. my thought. Biggest shakeups are obviously um, in the West. Now you have a Booker, Chris Paul, uh, Durant, and if you want to include them, Aiton Super Team in Phoenix. And then you have the Super Duo of Luka and Kyrie in uh, Dallas. So we'll see how that shapes up. It'll be interesting to watch. The well, East really didn't it- do much to get better. I say, and in the West, keep in mind that those teams, right, the Dallas and Phoenix, are both only in the playoffs by three games at this point. Yeah. Granted, they're the four and five seed. Like right now, they'd play each other in the first round of the playoff. That would How crazy be fun. would that series be? Hoping for it. And the plan is going to be brutal this year in the West. It's not yeah. going to be like, oh, well, we got an easy team. We can just get in the playoffs. And the play in teams are going to be playoff teams, too. So. Definitely an interesting stretch run in the NBA. 
Uh, we do have the All-Star Weekend coming up. It's going to be Friday the 17th through Sunday the 19th. Um, I'll just hit on the big stuff that's happening. There are other little events. You can look that up if you would like. Uh, 7 p.m. Saturday. This is all central time. Uh, the skills competition will be first, followed by the three-point contest, and then finally the dunk contest all in one shot. And then 6.30 Sunday is going to be the live All-Star Draft. This is the first time they are going to have the captains pick their reserves for their team live on TV. So if you want to see some schoolyard action uh, with, you know, captains literally picking dudes and hopefully they have to go walk over and stand so we can have like one dude left at the end of the day standing in line looking sad. Check that out. And then the game, actual game, is going to be at 7.30. So uh, that's what we got. Football is over. So if you want something to fill your days, check out the NBA. They got quite a few games. And of course, college basketball will always be there too. And that's what I got. Unless you guys have any other thoughts on the very exciting trade deadline, we can move on. I, I do not. That was, that was good. Thank you for the, for the rundown. Hearing nothing else, we're going to move on to Mike's Stupid Rules. And we're going to talk about just a weird, interesting, quirk, weird play thing that happened um, late or in the second half of the Super Bowl. Um, This is a play where Dallas Goddard um, catches a pass or appears to catch the pass. That's the ruling on the field um, near the sideline. It's called a catch. Um, He goes out of bounds on his bench and ends up running – on his sideline and ends up running into the bench area. Now, um, that's an important terminology. So the bench area, if you actually look um, pretty early in the NFL rule book, um, it is officially on, it's on like page seven of the NFL rule book, right? It defines um, the areas of the, of the sideline even, Right. So the first six feet are theoretically only for the chain crew and officials. And then the next um, six feet are only for coaches and substitution players. And then um, the next 15 feet are for the players and bench personnel, right? So that, that's important because essentially what the ruling was here is Goddard ran far enough out of bounds on his sideline where he entered the um, – the, he uh, went past that first six feet and into the um, substitution players area. So then when he comes back on the field, he officially count that officially counts as a substitution, even though he was previously on the field for the previous play. Now this came to matter because it was very close to whether that play was a catch or not. So the Eagles are trying to hurry up to the line and snap it. Um, but the officials ended up, blowing it dead and stopping him because that counted as making a substitution. And we all know when the offense makes substitution, they have to give the defense a chance to respond. Um, So that play ended up getting stopped and the officials talked about it for a while. um, And it ended up giving the chiefs a long time to look at that replay. Eventually they decided to challenge and they still lost that challenge. Um, But that was all because he came out, he went further than six feet off the sideline, which made that um, a, an official substitution, which man, meant the offense had to wait for the defense. Does that make sense? Did I cover that well, Wyatt? That makes sense to everybody? 
Yeah, no, I think you you covered it well. I actually forgot about that. Like, I didn't think about that being a thing after this play happened. I was confused yeah. when I blew it dead. I didn't think about it either. And then once he gave the explanation, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I was confused why the play got blown dead. And I'm confused why it took him so long. I'm the only the only complaint I have that they officiated that correctly. They interpreted the rules correctly. I just don't love in a challenge situation giving the Chiefs that much time to look at it. I don't love that part of it, but get the call right is most important. And they did. So other than that, I think it was a fish that a situation was officiated very, very well. Overall, I think the crew did a very good job in that game overall. So props to them. I don't know who they are, but they did a good job. Props to them. I agree. It was, um, oh, whose crew is that? Shoot. Uh, did, did you notice a uh, side tangent? The ref for the NFC game was on the sidelines as the backup official. Uh, John, John Hussey, I think is his name. Yeah, uh, he's the one who did the, the the whole punt hidden the wire thing. But he was he was there on the sidelines. Fun fact. I I found it interesting that both crews were out there for the coin toss too. Did you see that? I did they not. Brought, they they brought both the the official crew and the backup crew were out there for the coin toss. Wild. They do have a full crew for playoff games. That's not normal for most NFL games, of course. Carl Sheffers is the uh, the referee for this past Super Bowl. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Also, just on a side tangent, I found it interesting the way that the, that uh, the referee did third down. Right, he did the 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 ring finger down for third down. Normally, it's pointer finger down, is what I've seen. Found it interesting they did the ring finger down. You don't see that very often anymore. Anyway, that that's all. Those are the nerdy things that that this podcast talks about during the Super Bowl is officiating mechanics. So there you go. Absolutely. With no questions on stupid rules, we'll move on to our accountability session for our write that down prediction. We've got a few coming off the board with the end of the NFL regular season. There was some that came off the board. Uh, first, we have to take Wyatt's one-point safety prediction off the board with the end of this football season. There was no one-point safety in college or the NFL this year. So Wyatt gets a nah, nah, nah. Um. Ariane, you predicted um, amidst your slow fantasy basketball start that you'd battle back to have an above 500 record. I believe you're now five games over 500 with three to play. Um, yep. That means you'll guarantee to finish above 500. So well done. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. And it's looking somewhat likely that the, the fantasy basketball playoffs might just be the four of us. How much would help? How sad is that? There is a chance that Victor will replace um, one of us, most likely the Ariane or Kyle um, at this point. But the, 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 the odds are that it's the four of us. So that, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, Wyatt, you put it that Dan Campbell would be the coach of the year. He was not the coach of the year. Uh, Brian Dayball for the Giants, right? Was the coach of the year, I think? Yeah. Dayball. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so... Nah. 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 Kyle, you predicted that the Cyclones will not lose two straight conference games this year. Um, they ended up doing that with West Virginia and Oklahoma State. So you get a yeah. Meh. Meh. That Meh. was that was not the the stretch that I would have predicted that to no, happen. Th- th- this upcoming yeah, stretch was the stretch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. 
Wyatt, you predicted there would not be an unnecessary roughness out of bounds call in the Super Bowl, and unless I missed it, there was not, correct? There was, there was not. So, ding, 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 ding. Ariane, you predicted that the game would be decided by three points or less. Last time I checked, 38 to 35 is three points or less. So you get a ding, 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 ding. And Josh predicted that the Eagles would win the Super Bowl, which they did not. So, meh. Nah. That is it for our accountability session this week. As I go to put things back on the board, I'm going to start with a baseball prediction because pitchers and catchers report to spring training this week, guys. I don't That's know if crazy. you realize that, but yeah, spring starts this week. Spring training, the first games are like late next week. Um, so, yeah. I it's actually did. I actually did realize that because my uncle texted me that he was flying out on Thursday to uh, report for um, physicals. So last Thursday, I presume. Uh, no, he's actually flying out this week. He's not oh, doing just... pitchers and catchers, but he's doing like uh, gotcha. the, the remaining of, remainder of the team. Gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, so I'm I'm in I'm in a baseball mood now, and I am going to predict. That the Twins sign at least one more player to a major league contract before opening day. Probably a relief pitcher, but I'm not going to make that part of the prediction. Do they have any open roster spots right now? They do not. On the 40? They do not, but as soon as spring training starts you can move players back to the 60-day IL, and the Twins do have um, at least two candidates to go on the 60-day IL um, Single? once spring training starts. So you're making it seem like that seems likely? Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that information that you did not have to provide. Yeah, but I've, I've, I've gotten you guys so many times by you just not knowing what I'm talking about, so I figured it'd be nice this time. Thank you like, for not, not taking advantage of our ignorance. All right. Single. Yeah, single. I don't want to talk about that. I entirely blame Arion and Wyatt for that because I yes, was not there for that we prediction. Were the ones there. <laughs> we all know. We know we're dumb. I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm, not, gonna let that go. I'm not letting that go, by the way. All right, single it is. Do anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He is still alive. I was talking to him this morning, um, but he has um, not read my message asking for his prediction, so he will not get a strikeout this week, and I will add his prediction once he gets back to me. Sounds good. I'm going to predict, probably for the first time, actually, a prediction for the USFL. I'm going to say that the Philadelphia Stars beat the Memphis Showboats in week one. That's the first game of their schedule this year. And when is that game being played? Not that it matters for how many bases we're going to give you. Stand by. I mean, it's a single, right? You're picking a single game. Just a single. I don't know. It's a single. That was just more out of curiosity. April 15th. Okay, so still a while. This is a while. an interesting year for people who would like to watch alternative football. You got the USFL and the XFL starting up here shortly. Yeah. yeah. Fun fact, the Showboats are the only new team this year. They replaced the Tampa Bay something or other. Tampa Bay Tom Brady's, I believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, definitely a single. Kyle, what do you got? Uh, Iowa State um, men's basketball uh, will not lose another home game. Okay. This should be fairly easy to do the percentages on, right? I mean, you got uh, TCU, FPI or BPI gives a 69% chance to win that game. Home against Oklahoma, BPI gives us an 82% chance to win that game. And home against West Virginia, BPI gives us a 71% chance to win that game. That comes out to 40% chance of that happening, according to um, BPI. I'm willing to bump that to a double just because I don't think it's that quite that likely. Um, but I'm think, say, thinking double for that. What do you guys think? I was going to say, I'm looking at team rankings just because I get their emails and it lays it out all in one thing for me. If I do those calculations for that, it gives it about a 32% chance. So I would agree with bumping it to a double. Sounds good to me. Double it is. What do you got, Ariane? I am going to bring it back to the NBA because I just talked about it so much today. Uh, I'm going to say Team LeBron wins the All-Star game. The fun part is we don't know who's on the team yet. <laughs> we know the starters, but we do not know the reserves. I mean, this is another single. Right. Yeah. So. That was a pretty quick was, prediction. Was, there, was, there was no real controversy. <laughs> Those were easy. Oh. But at the same time, that was also only three doubles, or sorry, three singles and a double. So kind of sad. We're hitting but for with, contact. That's right. With those three singles and a double and a pending prediction from Josh, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311Cast, episode 210. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311Cast on Instagram and Twitter. Signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!